Dusty. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we have a guest speaker with us this morning. Uh, some of you don't recognize him. He got a haircut yesterday. His wife dressed him this morning, so uh, he's looking real sharp. This is Luke Martin, and uh, many of you know the Martin family. You've known Paul and Kara, and um, this is their son, Luke, and Luke has been a resident with us um, since, what, October, November, November, um, and Luke's residency will continue through the end of June. He, he primarily uh, helps with our student ministry, but has his hand in several different things, serving various places on Sunday mornings. Um, it's hard when mom and dad are also on staff and they just say, hey, we need help, and you don't get to say no. So, yeah, it's, that's how it works. Um, Luke is going to preach to us this morning. Uh, before we get there, though, we are kind of in what we call our CIY series. And so we've been thinking about uh, CIY and MOVE Conference and sending our students um, leading up to a fundraiser next week. And so, as Dusty mentioned, we hope that you will um, circle next week on your calendar, plan to stick around for breakfast and the auction um, there next week following each service. We'd love to have you for that. Uh, Luke is a CIY veteran. Uh, been to how many MOVE conferences? Uh, I think six total. Six total. I worked at one. So. Okay. All right. So cheated a little bit. Well, maybe um, three of them, so maybe more. Okay. Eight. I don't know. But you went every year of every high school. Year. Okay. So uh, I've got some questions to, for Luke, and this this will help us understand the significance of MOVE conference and um, a little bit about Luke's story as well. Um you have some perspective now, right? So uh, this side of high school, looking back at your days at MOVE, uh, explain, help us understand why is MOVE, why CIY such a formative experience for individuals, but specifically for youth groups who go together? How, why is it so formative? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing, I think a couple years ago, we came back and uh, that the high that Eli talked about, the, the, uh, the emotion you're feeling, the, the energy you have for uh, the kingdom is just is rolling. And as a youth group, you, you want to come back and keep it going as long as you can. And so I remember a few years ago, we came back and we had a meeting uh, in Tom Armstrong Hall, all the students that wanted to come. And we were just talking, like, how can we keep this, this uh, momentum rolling? How can we uh, just stay in this energy? And, you know, it, it, over time, tapered off, and it wasn't as, you know, high and uh, great as we felt at CIY, but it, it did bring us together closer um, and I think helped us uh, prepare for things that were going to happen in the future. Yeah. yeah. Um, com community, uh, as a church, has a long history of sending students, being a sending church, um, Lots of kids that I was in school with at Ozark uh, came from community. Um, CIY played a role in your call to ministry. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, so my senior year of high school, I was kind of having a Jonah moment and wanted to not, you know, go into ministry. I was like, nope, not for me. Uh, but CIY happened, and God was like, no, it's for you, and you're going to go. And, you know, I've been at Ozark for four years now, and uh, so it's pretty clear that, yeah, I think, I think CIY had a, had a good role in that. So Yeah. Okay, so... Just like every other high school student, you, you juggled athletics, academics, I mean, extracurriculars, jobs at times, different things, and yet you still made it a priority, found yourself at a MOVE conference every year. Speak to why that was so important for you and, and why you would choose that over any other summer activity. I mean, it was, it was the highlight of my summer, uh, whether it be camp or CIY. Um, I mean, you know, practice is fun sometimes, but like you have practice all the time. But the, these youth conferences, you don't have all the time. Uh, and especially looking back, like, uh, like thinking now, and I know I will in the future, like looking back to my summers, oh, that was so much fun. I went to practice every day. No, it was going, going to CIY and going to camp and uh, just the impact that, uh, for one, just the fun times that we had, but also that the Lord had 
on me. And so I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. You did not sleep with your friends, though, right? That's not sleep okay. with my friends, no. You guys don't get that joke. You have to watch last week's service. Okay, um, we're going we're gonna to stand all together and read some scripture, and then I want to pray over Luke, and he's going to preach to us this morning. So let's stand together and read from Psalm 16. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me in the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray for Luke. I love it. If you guys would just extend your hands uh, towards the stage as I pray over him, and we're going to receive God's word. God, thanks for Luke Martin. Um, God, thank you for um, his response to your call into ministry. Thanks for the ways that he is serving our body here. And God, what I pray right now in this moment is that your Holy Spirit would um, create just a, a sense of peace within him. God, would you give him a humble confidence in how you prepared a message for him to, to, to preach today? Um, God, would you give him clarity? Uh, would you give him an ability to um, proclaim your word boldly? And God, would you um, give him a sense of your power within him? God, thank you for the way that you use people. We're excited to see how you'll continue to use Luke and Gabri in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, uh, before we get started, I wanted to uh, start with this. Um, I know that you're used to Dusty and his big, full, gorgeous Santa beard. Uh, and then on the other hand, you get Joel with his clean-shaven, uh, fancy face. So I wanted to come in and, you know, split the difference a little bit. Uh, thank you, thank you. I, I, I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. Uh, so to start off, I want to point us to one of the greatest, uh, if not the greatest, uh, cinematic battle scenes in history. Uh, this is the Battle of Helm's Deep, which takes place in the Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Every villager able to wield a sword has been sent to the armory. My lord? Who am I, Camling? You are our king, sire. your king. Your men, my lord, will follow you to whatever end. To whatever end. the horn that was blowing. They have passed that rain on the mountains, like wind in the meadow. The days have gone down in the west, behind the hills, into shadows. 
So if you don't know the background of that scene, uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep is essentially uh, what the men of Middle-earth are pushed to as 10,000 orcs are coming their way. Uh, and it doesn't say this in the video, but right before that scene, uh, Legolas the elf tells them, it's 300 men, women, and children against 10,000 orcs. The odds are not in their favor. Uh, and so we get this, this glimpse right before of, of the king standing with the, the sun coming in behind him, and it's a beautiful shot. Uh, and he's, he's, you can see it on his face. He's worried. I mean, to, to say the least, he's worried. Uh, and he and everyone else are uh, preparing for this impossible challenge that's coming for them. Uh, when you find yourself facing a seemingly impossible situation or a challenge or insurmountable pressure, what do you do? Where do you turn to? Who do you turn to? How do you respond? And this is the question uh, that Mark addresses in Mark 14. Uh, he, or Jesus and the disciples find themselves in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, which is an olive grove. Uh, in some cases, it's called the Mount of Olives, probably because it has olive trees, is what I would guess. Um, and it's a, freak, it's a frequented location for him and his disciples. And it's where they find themselves uh, when they go to pray, especially. And so as we look at this text, uh, Mark will demonstrate the importance of looking like Jesus as we prepare for the challenges we face. Now, I'm going to give you two examples that you should follow and one example that you definitely should not follow. Uh, I hope you'll be able to figure those out as we go. Uh, so, in the first place, in the midst of distress, turn to God. Uh, read with me, uh, Mark 14, 32-34. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, Mark gets uh, pretty specific with the type of stress that Jesus is facing. Uh, you, you could even say that Jesus' sorrow is uh, immeasurable. Uh, Mark uh, uses three words that uh, we, haven't, we barely see in the New Testament. I think some of them only occur four times. Um, and, you know, last week Joel did his little East Keys thing. I'm not going to do that. But I did want you to, uh, to read the words uh, as they come up. The first word is uh, ekthambeo. Uh, ekthambeo. And it just means distressed. The second word is, I like this one, ademoneo. That one's fun. Ademoneo. It means deeply troubled. And the final one is perilupos, which means crushed with grief. Now, Mark isn't like, Jesus was stressed, so he went to pray. No, he says, Jesus was distressed, deeply troubled, and crushed with grief. One word doesn't do it justice. He has to give us three. And in English, it's like seven. So, like, obviously what Jesus was going through was not just like, I'm worried about taking a test for school or something like that, you know? And the stress that Jesus is facing uh, is something that we might call uh, the waiting of suffering um, or maybe anxiety. Uh, he's not only anxious about uh, the coming physical suffering. I mean, he's about to die on the cross. I would be a little, you know, stressed too. But he's actually more worried about uh, the the death that he has to endure. Uh, the death that he has to endure is not like the death that we will have to endure. Because he endured a death that we would never have to endure so that we wouldn't have to endure it, right? Uh, James Edwards uh, says it like this. He says, It's one thing, fearful as it will be, to answer for our own sins before a holy and almighty God. Who can imagine what it would be like to stand before God to answer for every sin and crime and acts of malice and injury and cowardice and evil in the world? This brings a whole new meaning to the phrase, the weight of the world, right? He, he experienced this death 
so that we would not have to. That's the gospel, isn't it? That's amazing. And I, I don't want to assume that uh, we don't deal with anxiety. Jesus did, and it's, I, I think it's great to think that uh, my Savior dealt with the exact same things that I deal with. Uh, I, I don't have, like, diagnosed anxiety, but I, I worry. Uh, and, and a few years ago, uh, this is a story about a time that anxiety almost, almost got, uh, got me rolling. Um, a few years ago, the summer after my freshman year of Ozark, I worked for CIY, uh, or for Ozark, but also for CIY, as I mentioned. Uh, and this, this particular summer was difficult. Uh, some people like to say, like, 2020 summer was hard. For me, it was 2019, like, no contest. Um, and this was a summer that a, a good friend of mine, uh, Jay Smothers, passed away in a car accident on his way to a CIY conference. Uh, also this summer that a lot of good relationships that I had uh, broke apart. And then also the summer that I was let go from a job that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, actually, they all kind of uh, ca- cascaded to the point of you're fired from your job because of the, the anxiety and the way it was affecting me and the way that I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And finally they were like, Luke, you've got to go home. We can't, you are not doing good for us here, so we need to send you home. Um, however... God's grace is immeasurable, right? God's grace is immeasurable. Through his guidance, I had many friends and mentors that came around me and pulled me back to his light. Uh, In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. My anxiety was overpowering. Jesus's was much more so. But he didn't sit and dwell in it as we often do. So where does his sorrow take him? Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that uh, he goes a stone's throw away from the disciples. So we'll, we'll say the disciples are over here. Uh, imagine an olive tree. They're all leaning against it because they're exhausted. And they, he goes a stone's throw. So if we measure the arc and velocity and geometry, freshman year of high school. Yeah, this is where Jesus ends up, right? Stone's throw away from the disciples. But I, I don't mean literally where did he end up. I mean, what, where, who did he turn to? Where did he go? Right? In the midst of his distress, Jesus turns to God. Uh, Let's continue through the text. Uh, Read with me. Uh, Mark 14, 35 through 36. Um, He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. In the midst of distress, trust in God. In the midst of your distress, trust in God. Now, the prayer posture uh, that Jesus holds is not, it's it's dissimilar from what we would have seen, you would have seen back then, or here uh, in public. I don't know how you pray in your private life, um, but if you don't know what to do, look to Jesus, because he's got a pretty good example. the first thing he does, Mark says, is he, he falls to the ground. Now, I don't know if I'm not going to fall. I'll, I'll get down slowly. I don't know if this was a, he gets to the ground and his face is to the ground and he's in, in, a, in a posture of prayer like this, or if it was more of a, he falls to his knees and prays on the ground. I don't know. The text doesn't really specify, but the importance is that his emotion drove him to the ground. The, the common uh, posture of prayer back then was to have your arms raised up, standing up. So his disciples, who are watching from a distance, a stone's throw away, are like, what is he doing laying on the ground? 
ritualistic, you know, watch. Why is he sleeping? You know, that type of thing. Uh, now, I was told growing up to fold your hands, bow your head, and close your eyes. And it wasn't until, like, I don't know if it was junior high, maybe my freshman year of high school, that I realized that you didn't have to pray like this. Uh, I don't know if I saw somebody else praying like that in a different way, um, but it, it took me a while to realize this is not the way that you always have to pray. I have a professor at Ozark who takes his glasses off when he prays. Uh, one day I asked him why, and he said, you know, I've done it for so long, I'm not even sure why. Uh, but I think, it's, I think it's because I can't see when I take my glasses off. Like he's just, like, vision's blurry. So whether or not his eyes are open or closed, he's not going to get distracted by what he sees. That's a, that's a special thing. Uh, I wish I was, no, I don't, I don't wish I couldn't see. Um, the second thing that he does is he calls out to his father with the word Abba. Now, I don't know if you've uh, seen in scripture, but this word does not appear until Jesus speaks it. And it actually isn't until after Jesus speaks it that the early church takes it with him and runs with it. So we today use many words for, the, for when we pray. Uh, we use God, Father, Lord, Son, Christ, Mentor, uh, Dad. Uh, I, it's, it's countless. If there's, a, if there's a word for God, you've probably prayed it in prayer at some point or another. But this word Abba was not used until Jesus used it. Wait, I set a precedent, right? Um, and today, or I'm sorry, uh, the, the intimacy of this moment, however, is not lost in his language. His expression of dad... Uh, one uh, commentator says it could have been daddy. This expression of dad or daddy shatters pious customs of the time. And it demonstrates it to us and to the reader and to everybody else his intimacy with his father. And because of this intimacy, he knows he can trust in him. Um, so Jesus is faced, is faced with a choice. Similar to the, the choice that uh, we are faced with. It's either give in to this desire of his humanity and what he wills, what he wants to do, or give in to the Lord's will for him and the will for us, right? Uh, it's important to address that Jesus was both human and divine. So while he could uh, do miracles and, and teach with authority, he was also faced with every single temptation that we are faced with. It says that in Hebrews, right? Every single temptation we are faced with. Uh, James Edwards, I mentioned him earlier, he says this, the plea of Jesus suggests that he is genuinely tempted to forsake the role of suffering servant. Nevertheless, his will to obey his father is stronger than his desire to serve himself. Can we say the same for ourselves? Because we're faced with that choice too. Uh, I don't know if anyone of, any one of us has ever been told by God, hey, go die a death that no one else has to endure. Well, no, we haven't been told that because someone did that for us, right? But we do deal with the trials of this world. Uh, maybe you lost a job that you thought was your career. Maybe you've moved to a new town. Maybe you're new today and, and you're, you're feeling the newness of, I don't know anybody here. I don't know uh, the community. I don't know the restaurants. There's not that many, but you'll, you'll figure them out. Uh, maybe you're faced with that challenge. Maybe you're like me and you're about to graduate college and you don't know what you're going to do with the rest of your life, let alone what you're going to do after July, you know. Uh, maybe you've lost a loved one recently. But in all of this, we're faced with a choice. Do we turn to God and his will and pray and pour our hearts out to him? Or do we roll over and dwell in it, feel sorry for ourselves, and never get over it? 
But what does Jesus decide? Uh, his choice is evident in the text. He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. In the midst of distress, Jesus trusts in God. Now, Mark does not stop there. He constructs this contrast for us in the form of the disciples uh, and, and their distraction, which we'll turn to next. If you would read with me in Mark 14, uh, 37 through 40. He says, then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me uh, for even one hour? Keep watching, praise so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they could not keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. In the midst of distress, the disciples got distracted. Now, Jesus, if you recall from the beginning of this passage, takes uh, Peter, James, and John. Those are the three names that you hear uh, often that come to G- with Jesus uh, by themselves, away from the rest of the disciples. We don't know if perhaps in this moment Jesus was like, you know, I'm going to pa- go face a crisis. I need my best friends with me. Uh, it could have been that reason. I mean, if I was going to face a crisis, I, I mean, I, I would like to say I have a lot of friends. I go to Ozark Christian College. We're all friends, right? Uh, but if I were to go into face a crisis, I wouldn't say, hey, all of Ozark, come with me to face this crisis. No, I would take my best friends with me. I have two. Their names are Darren and Noah. I would take Darren and Noah with me because with him, with him behind my back, I feel like I could face anything. Uh, but, so yeah, we don't know if it was because they were his best friends or if it was because he wanted to test them. I mean, Jesus is... You know, he's, he's kind of like that. He wants, to, he wants to make sure that these guys are authentic, right? And these guys, at all, uh, all three at some point in the last couple years, have declared to Jesus their tenacity, especially for him. Um, on, their, on their way to the garden, uh, Peter, we all know Peter, is told by Jesus, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, I won't. Even if everyone else flees from you, I never will. And Jesus says, he doesn't say this, but I assume he would say, yeah, we'll see. On the other hand, you have James and John, the the sons of thunder. I mean, these guys are, that's a great name. That's a a cool name. My name is Luke. They were the sons of thunder. Like, that's great. They were, they were, uh, they, they walked up to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, and they said, Jesus, can we sit on your right and your left in heaven? And he's like, that's not for me to decide. But can you drink the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Can you get baptized in the baptism of suffering that I'm about to be baptized in? And they were like, we're the sons of thunder. Of course we can. And Jesus says, we will see. So that could be why he brings them with him to, um, to the garden. And he instructs them, stay here and keep watch. Now, this word, keep watch, in Greek is gregoreo. We were talking before the service. Gregoreo sounds like a weird, like a weird way to say the name Greg. It's like, yeah, that's uh, James and John and Gregoreo over there. Gregoreo means to be awake or to be vigilant. I think it's ironic in this, uh, this text specifically that Mark uses the word, the word that Jesus tells them is to be awake as they fall asleep. Now, he's not just telling them to, uh, you know, keep watch guard the garden. Uh, my wife used to live in the country. She has, used to have a pretty massive garden, um, which out in the country we had the, their dogs that would protect 
uh, the garden. So you didn't have to worry about a lot of squirrels or cats or um, birds or really much of anything. Really, it was just keeping the dogs out of the garden at that point. But now we live in town. And on our back patio, she plans to have a garden in five-gallon buckets. I don't know. If you want to know more, talk to her. She's a genius with all those things. Um, but she could say to me, Luke, guard the garden from cats and birds and groundhogs. And I would say back to her, okay. That's not what Jesus means here, right? He's not saying guard the garden. Instead, if you would uh, look back to Mark chapter 13, which I really recommend that you do uh, if you have time this afternoon, Jesus in an illustration of the master leaving his house. Uh, the gatekeeper is told, keep watch uh, for the return of his master. And Jesus says to the disciples, you too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. But unlike Jesus in the situation, they give in to their temptation. So where Jesus sees it and says, no, not my will, but yours be done, the disciples say, I'm tired, I'm going to go to sleep, right? Now, I don't want to say that they just like, we're sitting against the tree over here, and they're just, you know, oh, Jesus is gone, he's laying down, that means we can sleep too. I don't think that's how it happened. I think really what they had was a bad case of heavy eyes. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? For, for example, a week ago, um, you could call me Luke Procrastinator Martin. Uh, I have a tendency to wait till the last minute to do a lot of the things. You can ask Gabri, you can ask my parents, you can ask Joel. Pretty much anybody that knows me, they know that I like to wait on my assignments. Especially now. I mean, I'm a senior. I'm almost done. I got five weeks left. Like, I don't, I don't want to do homework anymore, you know? Well, for example, last Sunday, uh, well, all of spring break, I had this book that was with me, a 300-page book. I read two pages the whole spring break. Imagine that. I'm in the mountains, and I only read two pages of a book. Man. Uh, I read two pages. And Sunday rolls around, and I'm checking the assignment on Sunday uh, to make sure that it's still due on Tuesday. I'm like, oh, I can, 300 pages, I can read 150 Monday and 150 Tuesday. I look at the assignment, to my surprise, it's due on Monday. And I still have 298 pages to read. So you, from, from, from about 8 o'clock that night till 1 o'clock in the morning, I could only read 100 pages because my eyes were heavy. Oh my goodness. I remember leaning against the bed, Gabri's been asleep forever, uh, and I'm just sitting there reading and I'm just like, my head's bobbing. My eyes are closing, and at one point I wake up at 1.45, and I've been asleep for a couple hours. I don't know. I just know I'm highs were heavy. Fast track to Monday night, 11.59, on the dot, I get the assignment in. So we're good. I got it done. Um, but I understand the eyes were heavy type of thing. Uh, now, their eventual slumber echoes two items for us. First of all, their humanity. <laughs> like us. They were victims of a food coma, right? I mean, you know that feeling. Thanksgiving meal is just over. Football is on. Uh, your grandma's apple pie was the sweetest thing that you've had all year. The buttery rolls that were dripping with butter are now in your stomach with the mashed potatoes that you could not wait to enjoy. You feel like if you breathe out, you're going to pop out a zipper or your, your button or rip your shirt. You're not really sure which one. You don't need a nap. What you need is hibernation right? The disciples just came from the Last Supper. I mean, they ate. It wasn't just let's lounge with Jesus and not eat food. They ate food, right? They ate food and they drank wine. 
They show up to this, this party in Gethsemane, leaning against a tree. They see Jesus sleep, and they say, oh, we can sleep too, and they fall asleep, right? The second thing that it echoes is that they don't have eyes to see, right? Countless times throughout the New Testament, they're told, you don't have eyes to see. Now, this display in the garden is just one more example of that, only their eyes were literally closed. In other words, their drowsiness at this crucial moment is due to their, fail due to their failure to realize how crucial the moment is. That would be like the best QB, a quarterback in the world, Derek Carr, falling asleep during the Super Bowl. Yeah, you're welcome. Essentially, the disciples weren't prepared and gave in to the weakness of their bodies. They gave in to distraction three times. Three times they failed Jesus. So where does this leave you and me? Well, we'll look at the text one more time. This is Mark 14, 41 through 42. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. As you can see, Jesus' preparedness, his preparation for what was to come, led him to boldly face his betrayer. He was like, you guys are sleeping, but Judas is here. Let's do this thing, right? He was bold. His boldness allowed, carried him all the way through the cross, through the resurrection, to back to his disciples. Why? Because he prayed. When he was anxious, he turned to the Lord. But the disciples, on the other hand, they didn't pray, right? They slept. Now, we know in the following chapters, actually the rest of this chapter, the disciples fail him three more times. In the first case, we're told a disciple takes a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the guards that, that approached Jesus. And Jesus, you know, in his typical Jesus fashion, picks up the ear and puts it back on the guy's head and says, that's not why I'm here. If you would have prepared, in the pr prepared with prayer, you would know that's not why I'm here. The second thing that happens is they all flee. We're told that even uh, someone else watching, it could have been Mark, uh, fled from the scene, and as he fled, they tore his clothes, and he fled naked. So they didn't pray, and they fled. So they cut off an ear, they fled naked, and on the third part, Peter denies him three more times. That's at the very end of chapter 14. I, I do encourage you to read it when you get home. Peter denies Jesus three times. One could argue that if they would have prayed in the garden, like Jesus did, they might have not failed three times, right? For us, when it feels like you're getting, uh, getting hit with all kinds of trials and challenges and hardships and anxiety and so much nonsense you can't even put a name to it, react like Jesus. When you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, emulate Jesus. This is my final thought, and then we're finished. Um, it's important to, to point out that though the disciples failed in these moments, their story doesn't end there, right? God's grace is immeasurable. Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, he resurrects, he comes back to them, and before he ascends, he says, the Great Commission, Go and make disciples. He uses them to start his church. 
That's why we're here today, right? So in those, t- in those times, when you fail to emulate Jesus, when you roll over and you give in to the, the pressure of the world, I want you to hold tight to the truth and the good news that God's immeasurable grace is extended to you too.